Shalom, brothers and sisters, and welcome to the Mormon Kabbalah Podcast. This week, we're going to be going over chapter three. And when I say this week, to clarify, because chapter three goes over the seven days of creation, I'm actually going to be going over each day, one at a time. Now, before we get started, there's a couple of things I, I want to go over. I don't want to talk about the priesthood a lot, but I do want to remind you that in the Latter-day Saint movement, there are two different priesthoods. There's the low priesthood or Levitical priesthood named after the Levites from Moses's time. And there's the high priesthood. Now, some can say that the Levitical priesthood is divided then into the Aaronic and the Miriamic or the priesthood of Aaron and the priesthood of Miriam. As we see in the Old Testament, Moses had a brother and sister and they both had their own things going on there. Priesthood wise talks about the women being led by Miriam in various things. Not, not a lot. And so I understand that some people don't believe that women held the priesthood, but at the same time, the Bible is very clear. There were prophetesses, apostles, deaconesses, etc. in the old and new Testament. So it's very clear that women definitely held the priesthood according to the Bible. For the high priesthood, there is the Melchizedek and the Magdalene. Melchizedek being named after Melchizedek, the king of peace who ordained Abraham, who Abraham paid tithes to. And Magdalene, of course, is Mary Magdalene, who some believe was the actual wife of Jesus Christ. Some believe she was an apostle. But what is that division? There's the Levitical. I don't really like calling it low because it's not like it's lesser in some way or high is higher in some way. The idea is that the Levitical priesthood is the priesthood of the earth and the high priesthood is the priesthood of the heavens. So with that in mind, you have the Levitical priesthood preparing the earth for the coming of the heavens and the high priesthood to pull the heavens down. And we'll get into that more later. But for now, I only bring that up because I wanted to find Kabbalistically this idea of heaven and earth. When I say earth, I'm talking about your egotistical desires. Our world is built on that. Our reality is built on that. The things that we want, the things that we desire. These can be good or they can be bad. If we fall into egoism, then our desires are going to be selfish. But if we understand our place as God's creation, then our desires become righteous desires and our reality, our world, our world will be built upon that. Heaven in Kabbalistic terms refers to that creator spark within us. It's completely selfless bestowal of love that we have within ourselves because of that divine spark from the creator that gave us life, gave us existence. So when we talk about these two priesthoods, 
The low priesthood prepares the earth, prepares our desires to draw heaven down. And the high priesthood draws that spark of God, that selflessness and that love down into the earth. Speaking from a Latter-day Saint perspective, that's why the Levitical priesthood baptizes. We're being washed clean. We're washing away the, the evil, the bad desires, the evil egoism. And the high priesthood is the one that confirms, the one that gives the gift to the Holy Ghost, the baptism of fire, is bringing down the heavens. What's a fire? That kindling has been lit by that spark within you. So that that love, which is the light of God that shines from us, can spread out. And we become that candle on the hill. That was a bit of a longer introduction. But I wanted to make sure that you understand that concept as we're talking about heaven and earth as we get into the creation. So chapter 3 starts off. Then said Elohim unto Yavah and Michael, Yonder is matter unorganized. Go ye down and organize it into a world like unto the worlds that we have heretofore formed. Call your labors the first day and bring word. So a couple things here. What are we? We are, before we're born again, we're an or, unorganized mess, Right? We're trying to figure out what's our place in the world. Why am I here? Why do I exist? So God is going to come down in us and organize us. Get rid of that chaos. What are the other worlds? The other people that came before us, the other people who have been born again. So just as God has healed and helped others, God will help and heal us. So in verse 2, Mine only begotten said unto Michael, and the gods, lowercase g, and the angels, let us go down. This isn't a one-man show. All of our desires are going to need to be changed. And that's done as we grow in grace. Remember last time we talked about that, the gray line between Lucifer and Michael inside of us, the desires that we have that are wicked and righteous? We are not alone in our transformation, God sends help to us in our creation. Verse 3, it says, And they went down at the beginning, and they, that is the gods, lowercase g, organized and formed the heavens and the earth, thus creating their second estate that they might prove themselves. And we just discussed what heaven and earth was. And Elohim said to the gods, lowercase g, let there be light. And they, the God, said, Let there be light. And there was light. And behold, Elohim saw the light, and that the light was good. And they, the gods, lowercase g, comprehended the light, for it was bright. And they, by the command of Elohim, divided the light, or caused it to be divided, from the darkness. Elohim called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And this was done by the word of their power. And it was done even as Elohim spake. And thus the gods, lowercase g, too called the light day, and the darkness they called night. And it came to pass that from the evening until the morning, we called night. And from the morning until evening, we called day. 
and this was the first or the beginning of that which was called day and night, not by the reckoning as time to mankind, but by the order or direction of Elohim and by the counsel of the gods, lowercase g, and evening and morning were the first day. So there's two contrasting things going on here. Darkness and light, evening and morning. What are these? These are our spiritual ascents and descents. Because as we grow, we're going to rise and fall. We're going to do really good and we're going to mess up. That's why we have a savior. That's why we have an atonement. So this idea of day here, please understand that we are referring to the changes going on inside of us as we grow in grace. The goal here is spiritual progress. We want to make our descents back down into evil, if you will, into egoism is a better way of putting it, as short as possible so that we can push forward into God, into becoming better people, into growing in grace. Now, all of this starts by a plea in our hearts. Remember that heaven is that spark, right? We got we to gotta light the fire inside of us. So that plea is a prayer born inside of us, written on our hearts. It's not necessarily we have to, something we have to say. I, I know growing up in a very Protestant area, I was constantly giving these little tracts that would say, read this prayer and you'll be saved. And that's not really how it works. There is no magic spell that you're going to say, no secret prayer or even not so secret prayer that's going to change you. Your heart is what has to change. And as it changes, the darkness is separated out and the light shines. And that is the first day of creation. It is us being born again. And it's not just going to happen once. You know, we're here to talk about your ministry, right? So I'm hoping that you've already had this experience, even if you, even if you wouldn't explain it this way or don't understand it this way. But I also hope that one time, that first time, wasn't the only time. And what we're going to talk about today is how to go through this first day in a four-week cycle. In the Church of Jesus Christ of Christian Fellowship or the Fellowship of Christ, we celebrate every month Rosh Hodesh, which is the coming of the new moon. The reason why it is important is because there's a series of four-week meditations that fall in sync with this calendar. You can start them on the first day of Rosh Hodesh, and you can end them around the time that the next one comes. Or you can actually do four-week cycles, and the Sabbath that we go over can literally be on the Sabbath. It's completely up to you. But the first day is this first day of creation, and the first week is the first week of what's known as Teshuva. Teshuva is normally translated in English as repentance, but that's not what it means. It means the return, as in we're returning to our original state, as in we are on our path back to God. Israel, what does that mean? It means, it means straight to God. 
So if we're if we are Israel, then we are in Teshuvah, which means that we are returning back to God. So this first week is one of self-reflection. You're going to be born again, and you're going to think about that. What does it mean? How has the light been divided from the darkness inside of you? How are you growing in Christ's grace? Now, I want to remind you that we are fully perfected in Christ the moments our hearts are pierced. The moment that that prayer is written upon our hearts or, in Kabbalistic terms, placed in our kli. Kli means vessel, and it usually is a term used to represent the heart. And the idea is that the heart is cleaned, the vessel is cleaned, and our perception has changed. So that's part of the meditation. How do we see things differently? How are we more altruistic and less egotistical? And this will change. It will grow as we grow in degrees of grace. According to Kabbalah, there are 125 degrees. And I want to be very clear here that and you doing this for 125 months isn't going to mean that you are perfect. It's, it's not like that. You will keep going over and over again through this cycle as you grow in grace. And I mean, maybe, maybe it will take just a month. That's very unlikely, but it's possible. Maybe it'll take years. At the end of the day, it really doesn't matter because Jesus has already done the heavy lifting. What matters is that we are getting to know God in a personal way. That is how we stay in Teshuvah, that constant path to becoming who we truly are. So the first week is one of self-reflection. And when I say that, when you meditate, you don't sit there and think, hmm, how am I getting better? I'm doing this really good. You close your mouth and you open your heart. You just listen to see what God has to say to you. Because that's a part of building the relationship. When people go in for marriage counseling, they don't normally do it because they're great communicators. They do it because both of them are so busy talking that neither one is actually listening or seeking to understand. This quiet moment of reflection is your opportunity to listen to the Lord. Now, the second week is the one that I actually call born again. And the reason why is because after you've reflected in that first week, the second week is when you're dividing the light from the darkness. You know where you've come from. Now you're actually going to divide that light from the darkness. This first week is represented by Keter, which is Hebrew for crown. And if you're familiar at all with the Kabbalistic tree of life, it's the circle all the way at the very top in the middle. And the reason why we receive that one first is because Christ's grace fully perfects us. And then that grace guides us through the different sephirots of the tree. And we're not going to get into that right now. All you really need to know is that because Keter is considered to be unknowable, it's the mysteries of God, it's the infinite and we're the finite, there's a hidden one on the tree called Bina. And, and keep in mind, I, I will say that the order that Mormon Kabbalah uses for the tree of life is not exactly the same as a traditional Jewish Kabbalistic tree of life. 
But Bina is understanding, and that's the hidden Sephiroth directly below Peter. And that's what the Lord is giving us. He's not giving us an infinite perspective, but he's giving us enough of an understanding that we can see how the light and the darkness is being separated so that we can do this work. Because remember what it says, that Elohim said to the gods, let there be light. And they, the gods said, let there be light. And there was light. So God's telling us to do this, but we have to accept it for it to be done. We're not puppets. We want to be obedient to God, but that is a desire that we must have and act upon. So God's walking us through the first step, the broken or pierced heart and the contrite spirit. We are acknowledging that we're fallen beings. We're eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but unlike Adam, Lilith, and Eve, we're doing it with God's permission. And we'll talk a bit more about that when we get into the story of Adam and Eve and Lilith. But for now, what I want you to be aware of is knowing good from evil is not enough. God has given us free agency. So this gives us the two options we've discussed before, to willingly allow Christ's grace to use, guide, and direct, and transform us, or to be used by God as a blunt instrument, because God's will shall be done regardless. Our freedom merely allows us to decide how we will be a part of the story. So light from the darkness. In your second week of meditation, what you want to focus on is the understanding that Adam and Eve have partaken of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil without God's permission. So we have sinned, in other words. God has called us to seek him. We are now free to know good from evil so that we can find him. We are seeking the light of God's love to replace the darkness of our ego. And as we already spoke about, this begins with that prayer, that plea from God inscribed in our hearts. And we can do this because we already had the first week analyzing and recognizing whatever it is that God needed to tell us. So now, Elohim said, let there be light. On day one of week two, we are saying, let there be light. Week three is the return. This is represented by the Sephirot Gevura, which is Hebrew for strength. It's the fifth Sephirot in the Tree of Life. In the Mormon Kabbalistic Tree of Life, it's below Da'at and across from Hesed and above Had. Basically, what, what does this mean? It's really irrelevant to anybody who doesn't know anything about this Tree of Life. Gevura is the essence of what's called Din, which in Arabic means a way of life, judgment, or limitation. And it can represent the Holy Spirit because it's fire. It's the left hand of God. The fire of the Holy Spirit will do one of two things. It will cleanse us and perfect us. Or if we embrace our egoism and don't repent, it will condemn and destroy us. That fire becomes hellfire if we do not allow it to use Christ's grace to perfect us. So we've been up to Keter. You know, we've, we've gained the understanding of Bina. And now it's time to, to purge the wickedness from us. We're literally casting out the darkness because of the light of the fire of the Holy Ghost. Now, this is an internal transformation. It's our confession as we're washing away ego and sin. It is God's strength, and therefore, it is our strength from God. We divided the light from the darkness in the second week, 
The third week, we have repented so that we can walk that path of Teshuvah and move forward in Christ. And because we've been purged, we become once again a new being or a new creature. So what does that have to do with the first day? How do we use this separation from the life in the dark in the first day with, with this, with Gevura? Day one is regret. On the first day, we're separating that light from the darkness. We understand that sin harms us. It harms others. It separates us from God. We regret this damage. And that's the first step forward away from darkness and towards God's light. Now, in the fourth and final week of Teshuvah, before it cycles through and starts over again, we have the restoration. Gevura has given us the strength to go home. So the final step now is Hesed, which is Hebrew for kindness or love. that usually is described mercy, the mercy of Christ. Now, keep in mind, we already received God's mercy in the first place, right? When we were sent to Keter, but he who is first shall be last, and he who is last shall be first. So now this mercy is us. It refers to what is known in Kabbalah as Tikkun Olam, and that is the repair of the world. There's this new light inside of us. That mercy is now a light shining from us. We now love God, and therefore we love our neighbors in a new way. So it's not mercy necessarily in the sense of Christ extending his mercy because it's already happened. It's the mercy of Christ being extended through us. And that's important to understand because mercy and the atonement of Jesus Christ has two parts. First, it completes the return healing us. And second, it also can heal us when we have been spiritually harmed by others. Sin will always have two effects, damage to the sinner and damage to those they sinned against. Obviously, we're not going to harm God when we sin, but sin is a negative with cause and effect. So being washed clean from Christ's grace feels wonderful. As we know, it's very empowering, but it doesn't just heal us. If it's just us, then Teshuvah is another form of ego fulfillment. That's contrary to the whole point of being born again. Altruism is the goal, not egoism. So there's got to be a way to heal those that have been harmed and for God to heal us when we have been harmed. That's Hesit. That's the atonement of Christ's mercy healing us, healing the wrongs done against us. In day one, we're referring to healing. Whatever, however the sin that we're being born again from has harmed us or harmed others, on the first day, we allow God to separate the light from the darkness, and the darkness is washed away by the warmth of the light. It's cleansing. It's purifying. And thus we're moved by the Holy Spirit to do holy works. Now, what are holy works? There are people who like to say that works are baptism, taking the sacrament, going to the temple. Eh, yes and no. Holy works are whatever the Spirit tells you to do. If you're walking somewhere and all of a sudden the Spirit tells you to give someone next to you $5 out of your wallet, that's just as holy of a work as being baptized. And the opposite is true. Being baptized just because you want to please somebody else or because you want to look good, that's clearly not a holy work. 
So the holy works that we're asked to do are literally whatever the Holy Spirit is guiding us towards. And we're able to see it better now because of this. Now, I want to wrap this up. I mentioned Rosh Hodesh. I want, to, I want to talk about that a little bit before we wrap this up today. The reason why this is done in four weeks, the reason why it's tied to the lunar cycle is because the moon separates the light from the darkness. So I want to talk about these four weeks from that perspective for a second here. When we have a new moon, Rosh Hodesh, you just have a small sliver of light and that's it. That light has broken through the darkness. Our understanding isn't perfect. We've got that little sliver of light. The new moon, according to the Hebrews, wasn't the darkness, but that first sliver of light that they would see. They would have Levites waiting on hilltops, astrologers waiting to see that sliver of light. And once they had it in their sights, the new month began. It's the same with us. Once that sliver of light is seen, our new beginning is there. So that first little sliver of light in the first week is that meditation of clarity, that mer- that meditation of clarification. What is it that I'm spending this month working on? What is that work God has for us to do? And as we go day by day and then week by week, that moon gets brighter and brighter and brighter until, bam, we've got a full moon in the middle. And that's all the light. And what's the light from the moon's reflection from the sun? So our world is lit up, as it were. But what happens after the full moon? It starts waning until it's gone. That's our humility. About the middle of this, you're going to feel really, really good, like you've accomplished something. But as it goes on, you're going to realize that there's still more to accomplish. And that's why the atonement of Christ is such a blessing. Because we're not in this alone. And we're not doing this because we're damned to hell if we don't. We're doing it because we're Christians and it's what we do. We just we want to build that relationship with our God. It's not hopeless. But the adversary is going to try to drag us back down. The adversary is going to tell us that we're not good enough. Christ is good enough. And he's deemed you worthy. Remember that as you are deepening your relationship with God. And remember to teach that when you're working on your ministry, whatever it is. So thank you for joining me today on the first day of chapter three, the first day of creation. We'll be back here for the second day of creation, and we'll get into all the little nuances and details that are actually talking about your creation. Until then, shalom, and God bless.